This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York, a radio.com station. I tell you, I could use a nap. Well, good morning, everybody. What an interesting way to open a program, huh? Ay, ay, ay. Hmm. Well, I'm Bob Salter. Welcome to our Sunday morning gathering here at WFAN. It'll be an interesting show today. By the way, at uh, 7.30 this morning, it's the NFL preview that happens, and we've got a football triple header on the fan, as uh, Dave mentioned, where we've got a game actually at 9 o'clock this morning. Now, it should be interesting because that'll be following uh, Rick Wolf and the uh, Sports Edge program, uh, too. So we've got an action-packed morning here. And on our show today, we have a little bit of a change in plans from what originally we were going to be doing on the show. And we have an excellent opportunity in the first half of the show to do something that I like to do, which is to open up the phones a bit. Now, one of the reasons for that is a guest is joining us in the second half of the show after our 640 update today. And with him, we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of youth sports injuries and getting to a number of interesting areas of discussion there. But before we get to that portion of the discussion, I thought it was an excellent opportunity for me to be able to chat with some of the folks listening to us with some of the things that may be on your mind. And one of the things that I've been thinking about lately has been something that we've been hearing about really for some time, especially in the uh, two years that... Donald Trump has been in office as President of the United States. And lately, some of the phrasing surrounding coverage of President Trump has been to say that there is a war on the media from the President. Um... To be fair, and to start us off in this discussion, I thought one of the things that probably would be most appropriate to do is to actually examine a portion of what he has actually had to say on the topic. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. It's fake, phony, fake. A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. Because they have no sources, they just make them up when there are none. I saw one story recently where they said nine people have confirmed. There are no nine people. I don't believe there was one or two people. Nine people. And I said, give me a break, because I know the people. I know who they talk to. There were no nine people, but they say nine people. And somebody reads it, they think, oh, nine people, they have nine sources. They make up sources. They're very dishonest people. In fact, in covering my comments, the dishonest media did not explain that I called the fake news the enemy of the people, the fake news. They dropped off the word fake. And all of a sudden, the story became the media is the enemy. They take the word fake out. 
And now I'm saying, oh no, this is no good. But that's the way they are. So I'm not against the media. I'm not against the press. I don't mind bad stories if I deserve them. And I tell you, I love good stories, but we won't talk. <laughs> I don't get too many of them. But I am only against the fake news, media, or press. Interesting, the comments, and that's obviously a portion of a speech given by President Trump. Talking about this idea of fake news, um, which is something that has gotten a fair amount of coverage in the time that he has been in office because obviously he has used that term a good deal and it has um, kind of worked its way into the lexicon of American conversation uh, these days and especially of news coverage too. My question to you as one of the things to consider, and I'm open to areas of discussion. You want to join us? 877-337-6666 is our number. This idea of freedom of the press, realistically, this goes back to the United States Constitution, which obviously was put together many, many years ago, and in the First Amendment to the Constitution, the wording is designed to prevent the government from respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise of religion, or abridging the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the right to peaceably assemble, or to petition for a governmental redress of grievances. Now, this was adopted December 15th, 1791. At that time, it was one of 10 amendments that basically make up the Bill of Rights. My question is, this concept of freedom of the press, number one, do most people really care about this? And then I guess number two. Is this an outdated concept? In the society in which we live, with the technology that we have today, where people have access to information in many cases without availing themselves of the traditional forms of getting that that many of us grew up with, obviously in the industry in which I work. So, interested in your thoughts, or you want to bring something else up. we got a little bit of time here, and I always like where things go when we open the phones. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. And let's go to, first up to Bernie in Howard Beach. Bernie, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. Uh, I don't know where to begin, <clears throat> but of course, if you know anything about <clears throat> the history of this country uh, and how it's designed, the press is very important. It's a, it's a extremely important because it's a check uh, on... The government, and uh, it's been this way since the beginning of the republic. Now he's complaining the 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 portion that you you presented, where he was commenting about the fake news and fake news and the nine. If he has something to say, well, why not go into detail? I mean, what fake news? What is he talking about? Just painting all the news with one brush. Um, give me a detail. Where where was the news fake? Yes, the, the, it's possible that a mistake had been, has been made, but he's painting everybody. Everybody that's, that's against him, or he perceives it as, as against him. This guy is, this, 
I, I just I don't have the words. Just don't have the words. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you for your call this morning. 877-337-6666. Our phone number. You want to join in on uh, this discussion on this topic or bring up another one. Um, there's plenty of things that are happening around. Uh, a lot of talk, obviously, uh, these days, too, in many different states um, in terms of debates and the like regarding um, legalization of drugs. Um, legalization of marijuana is a very hot topic in uh, the state in which I live in New Jersey and a lot of other places uh, in the country and people in many cases have very strong opinions on that. It's a topic that hopefully we'll be able to explore in the near future because I want to do this somewhat in detail uh, too. 877-337-6666, our number here at The Fan. Let's see if we can do one more call here before we pause. Uh, let's see, we go to Mike in Marlboro, New Jersey. Mike, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Hey, good morning. I appreciate you taking my call. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, the previous caller, um, Bernie, I think it was, just stated that uh, he painted all the media. And that's, I think, somebody that's listening to only what they wanted to hear out of the exact soundbite you played, um, he specifically stated, I don't apply this to all the media. Um, in that sound clip, he says, um, you know, the fake news media. Now, that could be argued who he's referring to. Absolutely, that's a debate. But mm-hmm. he clearly didn't say all media, all news outlets, all sources. Uh, that's number one. Uh, Number two, what you brought up, um, I thought is an interesting topic for debate, uh, uh, being as uh, are some of these ideas outdated? Mm -hmm. Have we gone beyond these ideas? And uh, from my perspective, um, maybe the uh, wording or the, the specificity of certain things may have been outdated, but I think the overall universal idea behind their meaning remains. I think um, you could say, uh, take the Second Amendment, for example. Uh, yes, have, have uh, weapons changed from the 1700s to today? Absolutely. Right. Has technology moved forward? Absolutely. But the universal idea of defending oneself, uh, self-protection, um, Someone being able to protect themselves from uh, uh, an overbearing government, should that be the case, or intruder, that remains the same. That's the constant, no matter where we progress to in the future. Okay, well, um, Mike, I the got, right to. I got to run here. I'm, I'm sorry, but thank you very much. You brought up some very good points this morning. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. We'll get to more folks. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. And I said what we do in this uh, first portion of our program is to open the phones. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Want to get your thoughts. Um, We've latched on to the idea that I put out. I really just tried to open up the phones and put an idea out there of uh, talking about President Trump and his comments about fake news. Uh, a lot of people want to weigh in on this. Back to the phone we go to Dave in Miller Place, who's been holding forever. Dave, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Uh, no problem. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the last call, I really couldn't agree more with him. Uh, exactly what I wanted to say is at some point it's, uh, you know, just like even in sports, we evolve. Uh, I think the ideas are there. I think it's the evolution of how we kind of uh, enforce those ideas that I think need to change. And you know, it's when you rely on or lean on the Constitution's antiquated notions in defense of indefensible acts that that's where you kind of run into trouble. But I think he was 100% on point. Thank you. Thank you for yep, being thanks taking the call. Have a good day. You too. All righty. Uh, let's see. Next up on the phone, Alan, who's been holding for a long time in New Jersey. Alan, thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. Hi. How you doing? Good morning. Uh, what bothers me as a lifelong Democrat, are these people objectively watching CNN or watching MSNBC? Both of these stations, nine, 59 minutes out of 60 minutes, is spent anti-Trump. What happened to regular news? 
these these people exist strictly to go against this guy ever since this guy came on the scene. And frankly, they left a lot of Democrats in the dust. This is why guys like Trump and people like him are going to keep getting elected all over this country. People are very disgusted on what's happening with the news. If you listen to both of these stations, look at the daily news. They exist strictly against Trump. Well, it gets into, I guess, in a way, um, also a bigger um, debate or argument about exactly what news really is these days in terms of content and coverage. But thank you for sharing your uh, viewpoint on that. I'm sure there are people no who problem. agree with you, too. Okay, thank you. Right. Uh, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Next up is Franco in East Hanover. Franco, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Thanks for holding on so long. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this I'm morning? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing well. Is uh, I am doing well. You brought up the uh, topic before of cannabis legalization in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yes. I look at it with with some fear and some sense of welcome at the same time. I think many people think it's long overdue at least to be decriminalized in the sense of we need to stop sending young men to jail and possibly ruining their lives with a criminal record for, you know, use of a simple plant that we've seen is clearly applicable for medicine. Mm-hmm. And what's the fear that you have? I would say on the sense of full-scale legalization, Although they do mention that the age will be 21 uh, for purchase, I am very afraid of it easily being obtained by, uh, you know, the younger members of our community. Well, couldn't they do that now? I would say so. The benefit that I see personally of it is we're finally going to get this, this drug out of the hands of you know, illegal drug dealers operating under the law, um, operating outside of the law, rather. And uh, we can finally get it in the store, get it regulated, get it taxed, and have some government control on it. Uh, just the same with alcohol. All right. Interesting thoughts you've shared with us, Franco. Let's see if anybody else wants to weigh in on this, too. Thank you for your patience on the phone, too. Have a good day. Thanks. All right, let's see. Next up, we go to ooh, where we had to Matt in uh, New Rochelle. Matt, thanks for hanging on. Welcome to the fan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure um, speaking to you. I just um, I feel that the media um, is a hundred percent. Well, not hundred percent. Maybe like ninety nine percent against Trump. They never give him credit for anything he does. And you actually got to put on Fox News to get like. I mean, I know they lean a little to the right. A little, but I mean, if you, yeah, a little, but I mean, but but, but listen, but they had people on with opposing views. Mm-hmm. MSNBC, CNN, it's just all Democrat. And what's happening now is that the Democratic Party is basically, you know, the the left, the radical left, is, is taking it away from the regular Democrats. I mean, it's, it's they are the news basically is against Donald Trump. There are a lot of people who feel the exact way that you do. Um, I've been independent all my life, but the way that, listen, Obama could do nothing wrong, Trump could do nothing right. And let's be honest, Trump has done a lot during his presidency. He deserves credit, but the left, will give, they will give him nothing. If they said oxygen is great for you, they'd say, well, we want to, we, we're not going to breathe now. I mean, come on. <laughs> give the man some credit. He's been, he's doing a great job. The media, I'm telling you, I voted Democrat. I, I'm, I'm independent. I went both ways, but they are against him big time. They're not giving him credit for anything. You know, I, like I said, I think that there's a lot of fake news out there. I'm telling you. Matt, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much for your call, and thank you for being patient on the phone, too, this morning. Ready? Next up, let's go to Bob in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Robert, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning. Good morning, Bob, and I'm glad to hear you live. I don't like those tape shows, uh-huh. but uh, what can I tell you? Um you know, this this would go on and on here. Let me just uh, be brief as I can about it. Uh, 
Yes, the stations on TV, yeah, MS, uh, NBC, CNN, and Fox, those are ridiculous. People should understand those shows are entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, Family Feud, etc., you know, Steinfeller. That's, that's what those shows should be regarded as. They're ridiculous. They're so slanted. It's crazy. Now, the papers, unfortunately, even like the record I get in Northern Bergen County uh, in Jersey, that, that's slanted. They don't like Trump at all, and, and it comes through in the paper. So, you know, there, there's not much we can do about that unless this is a great opportunity for some organization to come out with a way to report the news. I know there's a lot of money involved and you need strong backing, but to be somewhat independent and just kind of give it the Walter Cronkite shine and report the news as the news and watch how many people will go to that and get away from these slanted stations. But the one thing I really want to say, Bob, and what I want to offer, and a couple of my family members, uh, every time I talk to them about politics, immediately they say is they don't know what's wrong with this country. This country is going crazy. And I think what they mean by that is the way the allegiance that the two parties have, they're dominating our politics so much so that the Republicans have a tremendous fund. The Democrats, they, they get all this money, you know, and they campaign and they put it in a general fund to support people. And in other words, it's almost impossible for a politician to run as an independent because they don't have the financial backing necessary. I think the way to get around this and get people in the Senate to vote on things that are best for the people. What happened? We don't best. We don't vote for the best thing for the people. We vote against the other party. And meanwhile, the country, nothing is happening. People are earning the same thing in salary, for goodness sakes, as they did 15 years ago. I mean, as much as Trump is done, I do give him credit for some things. There's a lot of things that are stagnant. What has to happen? We have to change. We have to get independence involved and so that the people can latch on to something, and we can have the Republicans and Democratic parties rule what's going on. By them doing that, we, we never have a, a meeting of the minds that they keep clashing with each other. We have to be able to somehow get together. And I think one way to do that, Bob, is this, because I brought up the money. The way to bring it up is this. Let's go to a system where when we run for politics, uh, I guess England somehow does this in a way. I'm not sure the way it actually works. But there's a time limit on when you get nominated and how long you have to express to the people what your ideas are. You know, they have a whole format of doing it. I think something like that, to limit the money that candidates could have, to give all the candidates a certain amount of time over the airways to express their views. And I think the paper's responsibility, which is always short, is to give an idea of when nominees are running, to give us a history of the way they voted. I want that in the paper. I don't want it up to people to kind of don't have the time at all to somehow research the way certain politicians have voted on certain subjects. I want the paper, the one I talked about, the new one, the one that just reports the facts, Give me an idea of what the nominees voted for. Let me make up my mind by looking at that. And I think through that, we might have a better chance to get our country, as uh, Donald Trump would say, to get it great again. The way to get it great again is to have the parties work together and agree on things that will make life better for the citizens of the United States. If they do that, we're on the right road. Interesting ideas you've shared with us, Bob. Thank you for your call and your comments this morning. Alrighty. Next up, we go to Jerry in Brooklyn. Jerry, good morning. Oops. Good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, Bob. Uh, best show on radio. And I've said this to you a number of times. I think you have one of the most intelligent listening audiences uh, on this station and probably on all of radio. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a Republican that did not vote for Trump, did not vote for Hillary, and voted for Gary Johnson, who didn't know where Aleppo was and is now running for the Senate. Um, I try to stay even keel. You know, when I turn on Fox, I get one spin. When I turn on CNN, I get another spin. And you would never think they were talking about the same person. Um, and, and, and today, it's just so complicated. I mean, is fake news protected by the Second Amendment? 
It probably is, and it's turned into big business. I'm not talking about um, inaccuracies in journalism. I'm talking about making a profit. I watched a um, conference on C-SPAN maybe about two years ago, and they had the founder of uh, Craigslist and Facebook and a couple of other uh, were, uh, uh, were present as well. And they discussed how a guy, um, and I couldn't believe how much money he made, but you know, you get a writer that will take true facts and spin it around to an absolute fake story, put it on his website, get the hits, and then sell it to advertisers. And I couldn't believe how much money this person made. I don't want to go into the details mm-hmm. of that. And I just wonder, you know, it's so difficult now to discern what is absolutely true and, and not true. And everybody seems to have an agenda, and I think that's really hurting our country. And I'll tell you one more quick thing. I I have a love-hate relationship with the print media, with the newspapers. I think at times they start a lot of problems, and at times they do great journalistic work. I worry about the investigative journalists that go out and uncover corruption, especially locally. And and I think um, that's going to be a problem down the road. Uh, the guys that pound the pavement, guys and ladies that pound the pavement and uncover corruption. And uh, we'll see where that takes us. So I just wanted to weigh in. I love your show. Thanks, and have a good day. Thank you very much for your call and your very nice comments. do appreciate those as well. Interesting thoughts that have been shared on um, this topic or these topics in uh, this open phones portion of the program this morning. Um, I think what we're going to do here is be joined after our 640 update uh, by an orthopedic surgeon and kind of shift in the discussion over to a talk about uh, youth sports and youth sports uh, injuries, um, touching upon a couple of different areas that I think will be of interest to some of the folks listening to us as well. But thank you to those of you who joined us on the phones this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We uh, had an interesting uh, time talking with um, folks listening to us. Uh, Kind of an open phone segment to start us off on our program this morning. And some good thoughts, I believe, were shared in uh, that discussion, too. You know, it's something that we don't often get a chance to do. But when we do, I'm always pleasantly surprised, first of all, by the response from folks listening and also by the diversity of opinions and, at times, the passion of those who call. So we'll try to work that into um, the schedule of this program in some upcoming weeks. We're going to be kind of busy and as we move into the month of uh, November and December. We have a lot of guests in, uh, a lot of people in studio with us, uh, too, on uh, Sunday morning. So be kind of stepping up our game a little bit here, which always is a good thing to do. Now, in the idea of stepping up the game, I think it's appropriate to shift in discussion now and take us into an area of discussion that often comes up realistically on the Sports Edge program with uh, Rick Wolf. He's along after our 8 o'clock update this morning. Uh, Dr. Josh Dines is joining us on our program. He is a leading orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery here in the city. His expertise is in understanding and treating sports injuries. He also serves as an assistant team doctor for the New York Mets and the New York Rangers. Uh, Previously, he was the doctor for the U.S. Davis Cup tennis team and now serves as a consultant for USA Tennis. First of all, good morning and welcome to our program. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I say that term, youth sports injuries, in 2018 to you, how broad How broad is that getting to be in terms of the way that those injuries play out? In other words, the types of injuries you're seeing. Uh, you know, it's a great question, and it, it's getting broader because I think, you know, youth sports injuries, used to be sort of just isolated to the, the things that would happen in kids, little leaguer's elbow, uh, you know, little leaguer's shoulder, sprains. Now I think it's actually expanding because kids are specializing in sports. They're playing one sport for a lot of the year. And we're actually seeing a lot of the same injury patterns in kids that we see in adults, which, again, used to be reserved for adults. So I think 
the, the idea of kind of youth sports injuries is sort of increasing. Well, if that's the case, I mean, is that something that should be an area of concern for, for parents, for guardians? I, I definitely think so. I think it's a great point because, you know, kids are going to play sports. You're going to play football and, and tear your ACL, uh, kind of the bad, the traumatic injuries that are, that are clearly unfortunate, but they're going to happen by the nature of the sports that kids play. But what's almost more disturbing is when you see these, over, these injuries that are clearly related to overuse, um, at a young age, something like, you know, Tommy John surgery is happening at a much younger and younger age. Uh, overuse tendonitis is that, again, used to be reserved for college and professional players. You're now seeing in 12 and 13-year-olds. So I do think that that's an area of concern or, or should be. And I guess one natural thought, too, um, doctor, is to ask about, I guess, conditioning, um, preparation of young athletes. I mean, are, are we doing all that we should be doing to try to get them as conditioned and as prepared as possible? I think, honestly, it's almost, you know, the opposite where they're, they're doing too much. You know, the, and that's where you start to see some of these overuse injuries. I mean, I think kids are, are working out how they're, they're, they're spending more time in a given sport uh, and, and doing almost too much to prepare because they've got, in addition to their team, they've got, you know, travel teams, and then they've got their pitching coach, um, and then they're going to showcases. So I don't think it's a lack of preparation. Uh, obviously, that, that is always a potential for some people. But I think when you're starting to talk about these overuse injuries that are happening more and more commonly, I actually think it's the other end of the spectrum where they're sort of preparing too much, for lack of a better term. And then the other question that often comes up, are there also cases where kids are starting too young, realistically? Yeah, well, you know, starting too young, is, it's tough to say. You know, I mean, if you, if you talk about, like, weightlifting, you know, you could probably start at too young an age. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I don't think it's too young to start soccer, even at two or three, as long as it's fun and they're, you know, they do it for, you know, a half hour a week. But I think any of these sports where there's sort of a, uh, a pressure to do it regularly at, at a really young age, I, I see parents having their kids in, you know, five, six, and seven on, multiple different soccer teams, they're playing for, you know, 10 hours a week. That becomes too much. I, you know, I don't know um, who, who came up with the rule, but something that I had heard that I tried to apply to my own daughter was that, you know, you shouldn't be playing a given sport more, you know, kind of more than half the hours of your age. So if they're, if they're six, then three hours a week is probably too much for them to play one sport. And, you know, that, that, if you're six years old, you know, doing one sport for even three hours is a lot of focus in one sport. Mm. All right, let's talk about a couple of different things that you've mentioned in a little bit of detail. Um, in the past on this program and obviously on this station, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of interest from people listening uh, when there's been talk about uh, ACL injuries. There are a lot of people listening to us right now who they themselves at some point in their lifetime have experienced that. First of all, the ACL is the anterior cruciate, is it cruciate ligament? Yes, anterior cruciate ligament. Where exactly, it, where exactly is that in the body? So it's, it's basically in the center of the knee, and it attaches, it's a ligament, so it attaches bone to bone. It attaches from your femur or your thigh bone to your tibia or your leg bone. Mm-hmm. And what it really does is it stops when you're, when you're twisting, pivoting. Uh, it stops the, the leg bone from you know, sort of translating too far away from your, your thigh bone. So it's really kind of a check rein in the knee to stop the, the bones from moving too far apart. And when, and when we hear this term about ACL tears, how extensive do those get? They, you know, they, they get extensive. And, and unfortunately, while you occasionally can have sort of an ACL sprain or a partial tear, um, Unfortunately, with the ACL, they are typically acute events, and, and they often tear completely. Um, now, to be fair, we don't know the denominator because I don't see everybody who has a partial tear. That, that you, you probably just sort of write it off as a knee sprain, and then they get better in a couple of days. But if it's bad enough where they, where they hear that kind of classic pop, uh, it gets really swollen, they end up in the doctor's office, you know, 95% of the time, 
it's a complete tear. And that's unfortunately something that requires surgery because it's not going to heal well on its own. And when we're talking surgery, what's that like? What's the recovery from that like? So the problem for, for kids or even, you know, high-level athletes is that the surgery, we've gotten, you know, very good at it. it it's unfortunately too common, so you, you get a lot of reps. So our surgical techniques have improved. The problem that we, the thing we can't speed up, what you're doing is you're taking a graft from somewhere else in the body, a, a tendon from somewhere else. So typically either your patellar tendon and a piece of your kneecap or your hamstring tendon, and you're putting that into the center of the knee to create a new ligament. And while the surgery only takes about 45 minutes to an hour, and it's done typically under regional anesthesia where the, where the athlete goes home that day, the hard part is the recovery, where it's really, you know, 9 to 12 months before they're back at their previous level of play. Uh, and that's because your body is taking that tendon and turning it into a new ligament. And, and we really can't speed up that biology yet. Mm. So it's a tough recovery. You know, you're automatically missing a couple of seasons. So not only is it a physically demanding recovery, but especially for kids, you know, who are in a lot of cases, you know, in high school, they define themselves by the sports they play, by, you know, that's the group, the, that's their peer group, that's their friend group. You know, if you're not doing it, it becomes an emotional recovery as well. And that's got to be, you know, there's... There's the physical side to things, and in a way, there's also the psychological side to it, uh, too, because that's an awful lot for a kid to deal with. Absolutely. Look, it's hard enough being a kid, and that, you know, and certain things, especially, you know, kids who play sports, a lot of time that helps them fit in. It helps them with their friends. Um, you're part of a team. Now, all of a sudden, that's taken away from you, mm-hmm. and, and it's very difficult. You know, you can't do what you like to do, which is hard as a kid, and then it's compounded by the fact that you're now not spending the time with your group um, doing what you like to do. So you're, you, know, you use the term psychological, which I, I was searching for, but that's exactly what it is. It's a tough psychological recovery as well. So this is seen more in, like with boys in, in football. Um, what about soccer? Yes, boys in football, and I was going to say boys and girls in soccer. You know, it's, it's ACL injuries in girls are, are all too common and probably becoming more so as they, as they are uh, such good athletes and being more athletic, playing soccer, playing a lot of basketball, it just becomes a setup for, for ACL tears. Mm. Earlier you mentioned Tommy John surgery, which has been talked about on this station, um, obviously, over the years. What exactly is Tommy John surgery? So Tommy John surgery is also a ligament re- reconstruction. Uh, this time we're talking about the ligament that cut, that attaches the bone in your in your humerus, which is your upper arm bone, to the, your ulna, which is on the inside of your forearm. It's, that ligament is under a lot of stress when you throw a baseball uh, or a javelin, um, and, and it often tears. And it's called Tommy John surgery because Tommy John, who now I'm getting old, but and dating myself, he was a great pitcher for initially the Indians and then the, the Yankees and the Dodgers. And he underwent, he was the first person to have this surgery. So Dr. Frank Job in Los Angeles basically created the surgery for Tommy John, uh, he made it back, and after that, it's become all too commonplace. We're now 25% of Major League Baseball pitchers have had Tommy John surgery. So it speaks to the fact that, you know, kind of throwing a baseball at a, at a, at a high velocity is not normal, and, and eventually that ligament, it's almost a foregone conclusion that it's going to break down. What's disturbing is when we're seeing it happen in younger and younger athletes. Hang on for a second. Did you just say that 25% of major league pitchers have had the surgery? It's that common and that prevalent. Really? Yes. It's amazing. Yep. And how young are you now seeing this occur? Well, that's that's the disturbing part. You know, sometimes it's happening for the first time when they're 25 and they've pitched in the major leagues for a few years. But, but we're now seeing it in, you know, as young as 13 or 14-year-olds. You know, that speaks to just way too much throwing way too much use at a young age. Wow. And that's what's really kind of, you know, not a good situation. So I guess, how do you get the, get the right message out, not only to, because, you, you know, your audience, to me, it would seem, would be obviously the kids themselves, the young athletes, and their parents 
But also, what about the coaches? Because they've got you, well, a certain, you, certain responsibility there, too. I, I, you hit the nail on the head, because I think it's really a multi-factorial approach where, you know, everybody has to be aware of it. And, you know, not to take the onus off the kids, they've got to know about it and realize that, you know, you should only make a certain amount of throws per week based on your age. But look, I mean, you know, kids in the middle of the game, you're not counting your pitches. So that then it falls on the, the parents and the coach. And even there, I think I think if you ask any of them, you know, they're all going to say we want to prevent injury. We don't want, want you know, somebody to get So everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. The problem, or one of the problems, I should say, is that it gets back to what we discussed earlier, which is this is becoming kind of a, you know, kids are playing almost too much where each coach thinks they're doing the right thing and they're counting pitches. But they don't realize that the kid's on two other travel teams, and then they're going to a showcase on the weekend. So each person thinks they're doing the right thing, but at the end of the day, you add up all the pitches, and it's, it's sort of way too many. So I think it's a combination of the coaches, the, pitch, the, you know, the, the player, and the parents. And I think we're also we're getting more scientific about it. You know, with, with most of the professional teams now, Mets included, we're using um, not a I, I disclosure because I'm part of their consult their scientific advisory board, but Modus Global they basically make a sleeve to track the amount of throws um, and you know pitchers wear it so we can get a much better idea of how much they're throwing, how hard they're throwing, to be a little bit more scientific about monitoring throwing going forward. It's interesting that the uh, technology is being applied in that fashion. We got more we want to talk with you about. You take a pause for a top of the hour look around the sporting world. Talking with Dr. Josh Dines. He's a leading orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery here in the city. Uh, he serves as an assistant team doctor for the Mets and the Rangers. He is our guest on our program. At 7.30 this morning, the NFL preview happens. You want to join us in our discussion, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. WFAN, WFAN-FM, New York, a radio.com station. Oh, you got to love that radio.com. If you haven't downloaded that app, what are you waiting for? All right, let me stop screaming. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. And at 7.30 this morning, appropriately enough, we've got the NFL preview happening. There's an NFL triple header on the fan today. First game's at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock this morning. Imagine what that must be like for the Chargers. Talk about adjusting time-wise, huh? We're in a discussion on our program with Dr. Josh Dines. He's a leading orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery uh, here in the city. His expertise is in understanding and treating sports injuries. And we're talking with him this morning about um, youth sports injury topics. And I said what we'll do, too, is try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us on point with things that we're talking about. I want to get into talking about um, shoulder instability in just a moment, but let's take a call here. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Go to Ed in Connecticut. Ed, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning. It's an enjoyable show. I enjoyed listening to it. I have a question for the doctor. In the years past, we've had athletes, uh, mainly professional athletes, who retire, and they blame the medical profession for ruining their bodies by uh, giving them painkillers and all this sort of thing. So I was just thinking, especially with the youth nowadays, is there some kind of an oversight on what a doctor or a team doctor can do for a young athlete that, you know, the athlete would have an option that he wouldn't have to do what the team says? Yes, it's a great question. Um, when you're when you're the team doctor, first and foremost, you know my approach and, and the approach of my colleagues, and maybe it was different, you know, thirty, forty years ago. And you read some stories about the Raiders and stuff, and it may have been, um, you know, whether they're on the team or not, they're still your patient. You know, that's where your responsibility lies, and, and you know, you have to treat them appropriately, whether they're on a team you take care of or they're just walking into your office, you know because they got hurt playing pickup softball. 
and your uh-huh. ultimate responsibility is to them. The you know, and, and it's a discussion. Now that said, they you know, if, if the, and it, it's based on building trust with the player so that you know they know they know they know that you have their best interest in mind. Um, but if, but ultimately, to answer your question, they always have the opportunity to get other opinions, see other doctors, go to somebody if they're more comfortable with somebody if they're you know on the playing in New York now, but they grew up in California and they have a doctor there that they that's been their family doctor for years and they want to see them. Of course, they always have that right. Okay, uh, thank you. It's very interesting. I, I guess on the professional level, it's a lot more complicated with contracts and everything, but uh, that's good information, doctor. Thank you. Thank you for your call this morning, Ed. Very interesting uh, question. Good topic uh, to bring up as well, because obviously, you know, that is an area of concern also for um, parents as well as the young athletes themselves. When we're talking about shoulder problems and shoulder instability, what sort of things are you seeing? So shoulder instability, it really, when you use that term, it's typically applying to people who dislocate their shoulders. So um, football players, hockey players, basketball players, where the shoulder, the shoulder is a ball in a socket joint, where literally the ball will pop out of the socket. And that's going to be, you know, that's, it's a, a shoulder dislocation, uh, and the, the catch-all term for that is shoulder instability. Now, there are also more subtle um, variations of that. Sometimes it doesn't completely pop out of place. Baseball players can get it. Even swinging a baseball bat, we get what's called batter's shoulder, where it, um, you know, it almost slides in and out very quickly. So there's degrees of instability. It usually happens in contact sports, though, and that's where it's this more traumatic skiing becomes another example where it completely pops out of place. And when you talk about, you know, young athletes under the age of 20, we typically re- recommend surgery for that because we've gotten much, we have a much better understanding now of the natural history of shoulder instability. And by that, I mean, we know based on the, the research that if somebody dislocates their shoulder and they're under the age of 20, the chance of it happening again is, is about 95 or 97%. And each time it happens, it's not a benign event. Things could tear a little worse. So with that as, the, as kind of the backdrop, that's something where our, our research has really guided maybe getting a little more aggressive in terms of treating the problem. Okay. When you use that term um, dislocation, in a way I can kind of imagine what we're talking about. But when you use the term tear, I mean, to what extent does this actually occur? And I guess when is it the determined determination made that surgery is really needed? Well, I didn't do as good a job as explaining. So when it dislocates, for that to happen, something has to tear. The shoulder is a very stable joint inherently with with a lot of stabilizing structures, the rotator cuff, the labrum, and it's typically the labrum that tears. So the labrum, for my listeners, the shoulder is a ball in a socket, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Around the socket is the labrum. It's almost like it's a soft tissue structure that goes around the socket, almost like the bumper around the pool table. <clears throat> and that's what tears when the shoulder pops out of place. And the problem is, it doesn't magically reattach itself. So once it's torn, it's not reattached. So the likelihood of it happening again, as I just alluded to, you know, is very high. And if that if the likelihood is for that to happen again, surgery what all is involved, and again, you know, like I asked the question earlier, because it always is a qu- issue or question with young athletes, too, what's the recovery process like? It's a, it's a great question, and you hit, the, again, the, the two important points. There's a surgery, which is an arthroscopic procedure, typically, done through a few poke holes in the skin with a camera uh, and instruments, where it takes about 45 minutes. The, the athlete goes home that day, but that's when the recovery starts. And similar, you know, it's, it's a quicker recovery than the ACL, but it's still six weeks in a sling, um, you know, three months before they're starting to get aggressive with the shoulder. And then for something like hockey or, or football, a contact sport, I typically wait about five or six months before they're back playing without restrictions. So, again, the same problems that we discussed with the ACL, where the surgery is the easy part, the hard part, not only physically, but mentally becomes the recovery for a lot of kids. 
So when you have to deliver that news uh, to a kid and their parents, I mean, that's that's got to be tough for them uh, to take because their first thought, obviously, is going to be, well, how long am I going to be out? You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, because, look, this is happening to kids who are athletes, and, and athletes don't want to be out of sports. They want to be back playing. They want to be with their friends. They want to do what they love to do. So it's never an easy discussion. I think the only thing, I, you know, only because it's become so much more common when we start talking about things like ACL tears, Tommy John surgery, shoulder instability in kids. The one, if there's a benefit to my job, it's that by the time parents are coming in with their kids, a lot of time they sort of have a good understanding already because there's been somebody on their team who's already suffered this. So it, it softens the blow a little. At least they have some understanding, but that doesn't make it any easier. It's an interesting situation to to have to deal with because it's you know it seems like you're almost walking a tightrope uh, there in terms of exactly how to handle this and handle it in a way that's you know is is going to answer their questions um, fully, but in a way you've also got bad news. Obviously, you have to deliver to them. There's going to be a period of time when they're going to be out. You're right. You're absolutely right because look, you, you want it. You, you want you don't want people to not like you, but you are delivering bad news, and, and you can't. You know, you can sugarcoat it a little, right? But but you have to be honest with them. You know, they have to because the truth is, <coughs> excuse me. What I found is, look, if you're honest with them, it sucks. But you've delivered the news, and, and they're going to get over it, and they're you know they're going to they have a good idea in their mind of what's going to take to get back. Patients who aren't happy, uh, you know, I've seen it is when you know somebody kind of tries to make it sound a lot better than it's going to be. And, and then they don't reach these milestones as was kind of delineated to them. And then they're not happy. So then, you, you know, then you get it twice. So there's really no benefit. You know, everyone wants to be the nice guy, but this is one where you have to establish trust. You have to be honest with them. And it gets back to that caller's question about dealing with professional athletes. You know, it's all about trust. And that obviously it's important at the professional level, but equally as important with parents and their kids so that they know that you're being honest with them. You're talking them through the process. And they know that you, you know, you've got their best interest in mind. You want it to be as easy as possible for them. But at the same time, you are being honest with regards to their expectations. That's the voice of our guest, Dr. Josh Dines. He's talking with us on our program. He's a leading orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery in the city. His understanding expertise is in treating sports injuries. Uh, he serves as an assistant team doctor for the Mets and the Rangers Previously, he was the doctor for the U.S. Davis Cup tennis team, now serves as a consultant for USA Tennis. Uh, his website, by the way, is Dines, D-I-N-S, D-I-N-E-S, orthopedics, Dines Orthopedics, with an S, dot com. And he is with us on our program, um, sharing some thoughts, try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us as well. You want to join us with a question, 877-337-6666 is our number. At 7.30 this morning, the NFL preview will be happening, and there's an NFL triple hitter on the fan, including a game at 9 o'clock this morning. Mm-hmm. Chargers and the Titans in that one. And Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge after our 8 o'clock update this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. NFL preview happens at 7.30 this morning. As you've been hearing, a great big NFL Sunday. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. We're talking with Dr. Josh Dines on our program this morning and talking with him about youth sports injury topics. Yeah, that's some of what Rick usually gets into on the Sports Edge program. Uh, Dr. Dines is a leading orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery here in the city. And he's been kind enough to join us on our program this morning. And I said what we'll do is try to work in as many thoughts as possible from folks listening to us. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. Al has been holding forever in Connecticut. Al, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to The Fan. Hey, thank you. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, So I played sports as a kid, and I played football and baseball. And uh, I've had, like, two shoulder surgeries, one on each shoulder. Um, I left shoulder. I did it. Baseball. I landed kind of on my side, and my left shoulder popped uh, popped out, dislocated. Then when I played football, that, that very next it popped out again, making an arm tackle. And I don't know how true this is, doctor, but my my doctor told me I needed surgery on it because he said there was, if it dislocates again, 
I guess there is some certain percentage of paralyzation in that area. And I don't know how accurate that really is, but once I heard that or my parents heard that, they're like, all right, sir, you know, I was on my rotator cuff. On my right side, I was in uh, college, wrestling around with some buddies, dislocated that, um, and that turned out to be a, 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 you know, I needed surgery on that. That was my labrum. That dislocated. And uh, both times I was, I was kind of upset because before I went into the knife, the doctor, both two different doctors that did the two shoulder surgeries told me that, each shoulder would be arthroscopic. I'd have like three little incisions. Both times I woke up from two surgeries, I've had two, I'd have, I have two, you know, a, two, a big scar in each shoulder because they told me there was more damage than they knew. So I didn't, you know, again, that, that's my story. I don't know if I have anything to add to that or. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a good question. And look, I, you know, I, I think it gets back to what we were talking about in the segment, which is always kind of, you know, be honest with patients. And, and I think you also, you know, so, uh, our tech, this sounds like it was a little while ago, but our MRIs have gotten better, technology's improved. So I think we have a better idea going into surgery now about the extent of the pathology. But there's still, there are cases where I tell patients, look, this is probably arthroscopic, but we may have to make an incision. The other thing I tell patients, you know, who've had situations like yours, is that, you know, look, arthroscopic, it, it's better if it can be done. It's small poco, it's not a big incision, but you also want you know, if they're in there, to do whatever it's going to take to get you the best outcome. You know, uh, right. so it's, you know, that's where it's, you know, things happen in surgery it's, or it's different. You know, it, it looks worse than even an MRI if you had it a month before the surgery. It's, you know, that's a snapshot in time. Things could get worse. So by the time you go in there with the camera, you may have to open or there, there are several reasons why. But I think first and foremost, you got to do what's going to give the patient the best outcome. And I'm right. sure they have that in mind. But is there, is there any truth to that? But the first doctor when I was a kid, like, is there any truth to the realization? You know, that's, uh, look, I made the point before that we've gotten more aggressive about fixing people who dislocate their shoulder because each time it happens, tears can get worse. Um, your shoulder, you're being paralyzed after a, a shoulder dislocation. Uh, I mean, maybe it's happened. That's unbelievably unbelievable. I'd be rare. I mean, probably as likely as, you know, winning the Powerball last night. Um, but, but again, it, I wasn't there. I don't know, you know, if somebody's taken out of context in the conversation or, or what, what was being discussed. But I think it does make the point that each time it happens, it's not a benign event. Right. I don't know if either one of you had your shoulders pop out, but I got to tell you, I've been through it a bunch of times. It is the most excruciating pain I've ever, ever had. I mean, the best feeling is obviously when it pops back in. But all right, guys, yeah. that's my story. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. your patience on the phone there, Al, to sharing the uh, story with this. You know, stories like Al's, a lot of the people listening to us can certainly connect with this, um, Dr. Dines. He mentioned a term, rotator cuff, that we hear an awful lot associated with sports injuries. What exactly is the rotator cuff? The rotator cuff is a group of muscles around the shoulder that, as the name implies, helps kind of rotate it. Um, so there's four rotator cuff muscles, one in the front, which is the subscapularis, three in the back. And typically when we talk about rotator cuff tears, it usually involves one of the muscles, the supraspinatus. Um, and that really, um, you know, it's baseball players, overhand athletes, anything where you're rotating your arm, swimmers, they, they can develop rotator cuff tears. Now, the good news is that when we typically talk about rotator cuff tears in athletes, it's usually or rotator cuff pathology, it's usually a tendonitis or some partial tearing where it hasn't torn completely away from the bone. Rotator cuff tears that tear completely away from the bone typically happen in older patients, the 50s, 60s, 70s, just from years of, of overuse. It starts to degenerate and then tear. But in younger athletes, it's typically tendonitis or partial tears. But that's not to belittle it. It still becomes exquisitely painful uh, and can be very debilitating in sports that require overhead motion. Again, volleyball, baseball, swimming, tennis, all those activities. Dr. Josh Dines, our guest on our program on FAN this Sunday morning. He's a leading orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery here in the city. Talking with us about youth sports injuries. You've covered an awful lot of topics. Very kind with your time. Dines Orthopedics, that's D-I-N-E-S, orthopedics, all as one word, dot com, his uh, website. Thank you very much for joining us. Certainly good luck continued with your work. Thanks so much for having me.
having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the uh, information that you did as well. And to the folks who joined us on the phone um, with questions uh, this morning. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program here on The Fan. NFL Preview is uh, standing by. And by the way, one of the things I'd like to remind you of is that you can listen to us anytime, anywhere. What you have to do is get with the program. Now, we've been talking about this for a long time. By now, you should have downloaded the Radio.com app. It's real simple. And if you have Alexa, you just say... Play WFAN Sports Radio 101.9 or play WFAN Sports Radio 66. And you know what? You'll be locked into the fan. That's a good thing. Our thanks to Brian. We are out of here this Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.